The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. People are living and working and consuming longer than ever before. At the same time, American society is experiencing its most age-diverse period in history. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Megan Keoghan, host of today's episode, sponsored by RacePoint Global. In this episode, we're joined by Marcy Alboherb, VP of Cogenerate, and author Scott Shigeoka to discuss the many dimensions of age-inclusive communications and the massive opportunity it presents. With us to introduce our guests is Bob Osmond, president of RacePoint Global, today's sponsor. Bob, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Megan. It's great to be here. And thank you, Marcy and Scott, for sharing your talents with us and your insights. Um, Megan, as you said from the outset, we're in a really interesting time right now. Uh, People are living a lot longer and working a lot longer. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. My, My dad was actually my age when he retired from his job. And I can't even think about the concept of retirement at this at this juncture. But you know, as you know, uh, RacePoint Global, we're an integrated comms firm. We focus on shaping conversations that matter for technology forward brands. And inclusion is important. And it's certainly a conversation that we've been having in business for a while now. Um, and, in, and creating inclusive environments is obviously essential to those of us who run organizations, but uniquely those of us who run agencies are in a position where not only do we have to adapt to changing ways of working, but we also have to adapt to audiences that have changed a lot. And they're changing in multiple dimensions. And I think you know people often talk about intersectionality one of the things I don't think we talk enough about is aging and ageism and how diverse our workforce has become in terms of just the sheer spectrum of ages now doing work together. And so I've known Marcy for a while and Marcy's had a really cool career. She was a lawyer for a while. She was a journalist. And her latest chapter has been very much focused on these questions of what it means to age and how that has an impact on your career, on mentorship, on this new concept of reverse mentorship, where the young are teaching those of us who are more experienced in our careers. And we were having a conversation recently, and I was sharing a little bit about RacePoint Global, and we're a values-driven organization, and one of our values is belonging. So obviously that's why inclusion is important to us. But one of our behaviors is curiosity. And Marcy said, oh, you have to meet my friend, Scott. And uh, so I did. So Scott and I met and we had a great conversation about curiosity. And I learned that he's got a new book coming out called Seek. There's your book plug. Um, (laughs) What do I get, 10% or something? So in in any event, there it is. (laughs) So Scott and I had a really great conversation about curiosity and the power it brings. You can't do agency work or be in comms without being curious, but curiosity in Scott's view, and you'll hopefully hear about this today, is the key to us figuring out so many of the challenges we have, not just in work, but in society. And so I'm really happy to be in a position to bring these two really smart, energetic people 
together. And my hope is that agency leaders, in-house comms people will, this will spark a lot of thinking about not just how we're running our own shops or how we're, we're working with our teams, but also how we reach audiences because we're in a unique position as marketers to influence the culture by the decisions we make, the people we highlight, the stories we tell. And I'm just super excited to have both Marcy and Scott with us. And I appreciate the opportunity, Megan, to, to get to do that. So with that, I'm going to disappear and, and let you all have this conversation. And I hope everyone truly enjoys it. Thanks again. Thanks, Bob and Marcy and Scott. It is really exciting to get to have this conversation today. We've met a bit in advance of this and I have already learned so much and I'm so excited for our, our listeners today to get to have um, this conversation and, and really just, it's a wealth of knowledge that we're about to share with people, that you're about to share with people. And um, I'm excited for us to really dive in. Um, I think one of the most unique things um, that Bob has sort of constructed in bringing the two of you together has been this convergence of um, curiosity and the corporate world and where they fit together and not just the alignment of um, what we produce in our agencies, but how we think about our agencies and how we interact. Um, and I know you two have quite an established relationship also having worked together. So mm -hmm. I think it's appropriate to just do a quick intro from yourselves. Bob did such a nice job setting us all up. But um, I think our audience today would really benefit from sort of knowing a bit of background about how the two of you have come to work together. Um, so let's see. I think, Marcy, if you want to go first. So as Bob said, I'm with um, a small nonprofit called CoGenerate, and our mission is to bridge uh, the age divide to bring older and younger people together to solve problems and bridge divides and co-create a better future. We do that through a lot of different ways. We do thought leadership, so writing and speaking and paneling and that kind of stuff, uh, gatherings, and uh, we also support a group of innovators who are working on really interesting cross-generational solutions to all kinds of problems like the housing crisis or um, uh, age segregation in all its manifestations. So um, as part of that work, um, we were putting on a gathering um, and uh, I was looking to hire someone and, and many people suggested this guy, Scott Shigeo, as someone who would be really well-suited to helping us think that that, that through uh, because A, Scott is like this creative genius and really good at holding spaces and gatherings, but also because Scott was really deeply involved in work that had to do with bridging differences and age differences, something we wanted to learn more about. So we uh, got a pitch from Scott, which kind of blew us away. And we decided to work with Scott on this project. And honestly, many things came out of that. Scott influenced both me and Cogenerate in countless ways, not just around issues regarding age, but in the bridging space, in thinking more creatively about almost everything that we do. He was our first creative in residence. We never had that title before we met That's Scott. Okay. And along the way, we also developed a very deep friendship that has influenced me and enriched my life in all kinds of ways. By the way, I just want to add that um, I am 57. 
And at the time I met Scott, he was in his late twenties, twenties, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so that's kind of the the age spread you're, where we represent. We are co-generating today. That's Marcy. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel um, so grateful to have met you, to have met the whole co-generate team, and um, you know, I I'm so continued inspired to be inspired to live a life that's really fulfilling and enriching by you know, having younger than me and older than me, I'm 34. Um, and, you know, to to see the the benefits of that, not just in the work that I do to make me more creative, to, you know, create better solutions, but also in the life I live. And some of my favorite moments, you know, between you and I are like walking through the desert of Joshua Tree together and mm. being able to recognize that this work is so relationship driven that without strong relationships with one another, uh, we couldn't make the magic happen. So I'm just so grateful to be in conversation with you, with you, Marcy, and um, yeah, to to share as as much as I can about the power of curiosity. Well, thank you both. Um, so I, if we are all good with it, I think we should just jump in. Yeah. Um, really specifically today, we were talking about the cross generational opportunity for communicators in specific, um, and I am. I'm interested uh, sort of about what motivates both of you in this space, like talking about this particular topic, communicators, workplace. Um, and I'm wondering if um, Marcy, if you might be able to start with us about a bit about how you've um, spoken to Bob about creativity. Um, mm-hmm. Speak particularly, I mean, just because it's the example we have here at Race Point, but your experience in talking about creativity in the workplace in general. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously all of us have um, been learning a lot about the power of diversity, right? Over the last, um, you know, period of, I think, American life. It's like a huge topic. And and I think everybody has recognized that diversity isn't just like a nice thing, a warm and fuzzy thing. Mm-hmm. You need diverse ideas in order to run successful businesses today and to, to do anything successfully because our population is quite diverse in all kinds of ways. And if you wanna to speak to audiences that represent a wide range of difference and identity and age and other kinds of backgrounds, um, you need a team that looks like the people out in the big wide world. So, um, and you really can't come to creative solutions if you have a table where everybody looks the same. My friend, Ashton Applewhite, who is a a very famous anti-ageism advocate, she has this uh, metaphor that I love, which is when you're looking around a table, look under the table and see how many kinds of shoes you see to see how different your, your, brainstorm group is. And I think, you know, we've all recognized that you get a lot of power through difference. And um, our organization is really digging deep into uh, how that um, how that plays out when you bring people of different ages together. And I'll just say from the onset that we're living in the most diverse, a, um, the age diverse society ever in um, American history. And uh, we have we have um, equal numbers of people living at like every age between 70 and into the 80s. Like many people talk about the aging of society, but it's actually the all aging of society, which is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. So you could have people old enough to be a grandparent or a grandchild sharing a workplace like that is not uncommon anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, yeah, well, A, I would be probably be wearing like a nice pair of heels, maybe like <laughs> around that dinner table, just to keep it a little spicy. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, when you come together and you have a really diverse group of people, and we talk about diversity a lot through the lenses of race and through um, faith and through disciplines, you know, like, and that's all very important, but we don't often think about diversity in terms of age. And so I love that point. And it's also about once you're at the table, how do you create a truly inclusive, you know, conversation culture that where everyone feels psychologically safe to be able to share what is most true for them, because that is what's going to well manage that that table of diversity to create the solutions, the best solutions that are possible. And one of the ways to do that is to create a culture of curiosity. So curiosity is a desire to know or the search for understanding. It's when we ask questions and we suspend our own assumptions and, and our own um, positions to really understand someone else, where they're coming from, their beliefs, their values, the way they see the world. It's really an act of compassion. Um, it's an act of courage. It's an it's a force of connection. And, you know, I find that when you bring really diverse folks together, if people are coming in with in curiosity, they're unwilling to ask questions. They feel that they are certain about the world, that everything they know is everything that they need to know. Then the conversations and the relationships don't quite, you know, evolve into something meaningful. But in contrast, when people come with curiosity, they want to challenge those assumptions. They want to get to know the individual. They recognize that no two, you know, 55-year-olds are the same, that we're all individuals with, you know, rich complexity, nuance, and differences. You know, that's when that table gets popping and we're not just breaking bread, but we are forming relationships and it's very meaningful. And dare I say it, you know, our shoes are like clicking under the table and enjoy because we're just so we're squealing with excitement. And, and you know, that's what it is. It's, this can be so delightful and delicious and pleasurable. Um, so the diversity is important, but so is inclusion. And one way to do that is through curiosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say some of the, you know, it, curiosity is a really beautiful thing and it's a, a very special thing to carry, but um, when you mentioned that there are people who might come with incuriosity or um, have this resistance to curiosity, it might seem like the first step to this um, kind of creative approach to inclusion is mm -hmm. to foster curiosity. And what are some of the ways that you have considered that that you have learned? I think both of your your works might come at this slightly differently, but what are some of the ways to foster that curiosity? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just in our relationship, Marcy, I've learned so much by the way that Marcy models curiosity by, you know, saying things like, tell me more. And, you know, mm -hmm. who else could we bring to the table? And, you know, um, I don't know, let's figure out what the answer is to this. And, and so when you see that curiosity modeled by the people around you, your peers, the people you work with, your parents, you know, if you're a child, your educators, if you're, you know, in school, that is really, really powerful. And it's infectious. It's contagious in that way, right? You know, she, you, Marcy, you are asking me so many questions about myself, what it means for me to be living in the world as, you know, a 20 something year old when we first met. And then that made me think, oh, like, what about you? Like, what is the world like through your eyes? I want to understand it from where you're also sitting too. So I think one of the biggest things we can do is 
you know, to inspire curiosity is to model it ourselves and to trust that, you know, we have these mirror neurons, we mimic the, you know, those that are around us and, you know, proximate to us and, you know, that can actually spread, you know, and so through an organization, through a family, through a community, um, and yeah, those phrases that Marcy uses, like, tell me more, and I don't know, and who else could be at the table. And also, you know, one of the things you do really well, Marcy, that's totally all about curiosity is recognizing we are uh, more than our work, our job. I think that is also really crucial to see the expansiveness of a person. You know, what is their life at home, you know, and how does work and life sometimes come in conflict with one another? And how do we ease that? And what's going on in the world today in this moment? You know, we're reeling from the news of another mass shooting, we're reeling in the news of another geopolitical crisis, a humanitarian crisis. Uh, and so, you know, to recognize that these things impact people and mm -hmm. to really, really show up and acknowledge that people have a full embodied whole life. Um, yeah, is a big part of it too. Mm -hmm. I have some ideas of things that Scott has taught me about here. <laughs> so one big one is I think when we leave our routine and do anything that kind of puts us in a different physical place or kind of emotional place, you know, we are free to see things differently. So Scott is a big kind of, he holds spaces a lot. He's inviting people in and like you're, if you're in a gathering with Scott, you're probably going to like get out of your seat and move around and maybe make a self portrait. And maybe like, you're gonna do these things where you're gonna move your body in some way, or you're gonna do a thing you didn't expect to do in a Zoom room or in a physical meeting and you're gonna move in a certain way or, and even those kinds of things, like getting out of your body, getting out of your head, getting, and I mean, you could take it bigger. You could be like, you know, we could work in a new kind of environment. We could visit someone in it. Like, I always say like, you know, give yourself like a 24 hour immersion in a distant, you know, an, in a, a part of your neighborhood in mm -hmm. you know, walk a different way to wherever mm -hmm. you go. Like all those kinds of things, those modifications we can make. Um, can get that those that creativity because you see you suddenly see differently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, when we talk about making the safe space to see mm. differently, or we um, talk about you know, I think breaking breaking your routine and breaking your surroundings is is very valid. And I'm thinking about all the ways that that can apply. Um, in big and small, like I love the example over Zoom because so much of our work life happens on Zoom and it's hard to think of, well, if we're stuck in front of a camera, how can we break that mold? Um, what are some of the, the things that you have found companies can do or businesses can do to create the safe space for people to be comfortable enough to get out of their routine or trusting enough to leave their surroundings? Because um, I think the when I think of the examples you've shared, it's it's such a, uh, I don't want to say like an obvious idea because it's not obvious, but it makes so much sense that that fosters creativity, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I can also see rooms of people being completely uncomfortable doing that at first. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you have to build that trust. So what are some of the things to build that trust uh, to have people open to mm. leave their surroundings. 
I have yeah, a I, yeah go ahead, Marcy. Yeah, jump. Yeah. You because I know I you have, have, I have a few ideas. Um, so, um, okay. So one, one small thing that's like a little bit more about like, you can do this with anybody, but I think it is particularly effective when you're, you're matched with someone, you're on a team with somebody of a different generation. And sometimes that, that creates some tension and discomfort. I mean, if you ever want to know what generational like disconnection or discomfort feels like, think about how uncool you feel when you're with a teenager, you know, like, you know, you just know that you're going to be embarrassed about all that. So we do this exercise now, which is like, how do you like to communicate exercise when you're, you know, like, what's the best way to get you? Should I text you? Should I call you? Should I email you? Do you like spontaneous? Do you like to make an appointment? Like, what's the, you know, we used to, those of us who used to work in an office all the time, remember the days of like, you'd knock on someone's door and see if they're free. Like, what's the way to knock on somebody's virtual door if you're not, you know, face-to-face? So I think kind of spending that time, um, especially with people who, um, may may be used to some different work patterns than you are. Um, there is something that Scott recently said that, like, I have to tell you, it really influenced uh, many of us in our organization, which is we talk about the power of listening a lot and listening, especially when you're dealing with someone from a different generation or another different kind of perspective. And really, you you have to, to think and organizations need to think really carefully on where is the power center of your entity? And those within that power center have to be really trained to listen and lean back and make space for other voices. Mm-hmm. And um, that can be done through training in how to show up in meetings. And um, so I think that one, and then another practice that I really, I've been trying to practice as I age and I, I came, you know, a lot of my career has been in like media and thought leadership. And I really try very hard whenever I get an invitation to some cool event or to use my platform in some way, Mm -hmm. um, I always try to invite an emerging leader to join me, somebody who may not get that invitation. And as often as possible, like I'll even step away and let that person, I call it like passing the mic, sharing the mic as often Mm -hmm. as possible. Um, and, you know, sometimes in the in the world we work in today, that emerging leader is not necessarily a young person. It could be a person newer to the field than you are. But I love that piece on um, power. And I want to just sort of just double down on that. You know, in certain or some organizations, it might be that everyone in leadership or those who often have the mic or who are often doing the communication internally tend to be older. And so you see that the voices and the stories and the perspectives of younger people um, are not being heard as often and are not being thus like learned and, and listened to. And what that does is it makes young people feel like, well, I don't have a voice. Um, do my stories, does my perspective actually matter? I don't see anyone like me in leadership. Like, can I actually ever advance or do I have to wait 30 years to get there? But the opposite is also true. There are environments where young people are really the the dominant majority force, especially in like startups or you know in certain sectors and older adults are often the ones that are being you know not heard and their stories and their voices aren't being valued and so you know it it really is is so dependent on your organization but you have to be curious and look in and be aware of you know whose stories and voices are often being told and whose isn't and to Marcy's point then give them the mic and you know create a culture of curiosity where we're hearing as many different kinds of perspectives as possible um, is so, so key. 
And then the other piece is, you know, humanizing this journey of curiosity is critical. I like to tell everyone to bring a photo of your childhood self, like the yearbook moment. I think it's just so nice to know that we are from many different generations. We grew up in very different cultural times, but there is that baby photo that we have some kind of feelings about, you know, and there, that, that also opens the door to, you know, rich storytelling. I mean, I mean, I remember being with my partner and just like gathering around with his family and looking at his old yearbooks. I mean, there is a power in sort of revisiting our past together. It's a shared experience that really creates a sense of cohesion and builds trust because you're genuinely getting to know the people that are around you. And then the final thing I would say is acknowledgement. I mean, I keep going back to this, but I hear so often in workplaces that people don't feel acknowledged, right? You know, you might be not be hearing that your team or your organization and the people that work there really need flexibility in this moment, you know, more than that, you know, uh, you know, that ping pong table that's like in the in the room that never gets used. Or, you know, I e even saw a recent research that said, you know, people value flexibility um, as much as a 10% pay raise, you know, about a 10% pay raise. And I mean, you have to really listen to what do people want? What do they need? Um, again, sensing what might be going on in their lives and how do you as an organization really show up for the people that you work with because they've been showing up for you and your <laughs> mission and your purpose that you're trying to create in the world. Um, and so acknowledging people will make people feel so valued. And that is what creates trust when I feel humanized, when I feel like yep. I have worth and I feel like I matter in an organization. Really well said. Um, it segues actually perfectly to the to a question that I kind of have had brewing here from a conversation we had yesterday, which was, Marcy, you had spoken about um, the off ramps or having more ramps, yeah. and um, and and what that contributes to a, a a more constructive, curious, creative work culture, um, and that's a lot kind of what you're saying too, Scott, about um, being seen and recognized for the different seasons of life that we're in or the different life experiences. And um, Marcy, I thought that 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 was so poignant what you shared yesterday. Um, and I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that again. Sure, sure. So I've spent a lot of my, you know, last season of work working on what um, our organization calls the Encore Career, which we decide define as a second act for the greater good. And, you know, we are working longer. And, you know, the old model was, I think, I think Bob said in his intro, like his father retired at the age he is now. The, uh, you know, the uh, idea was like, you work for 30 years, you retire and you go and retreat. That's what retirement means, retreating actually. And in the new model, first of all, you may not work 30 years straight. You may take breaks to uh, be a more active parent or to be a caregiver for someone else in your life or to have a sabbatical and go explore something to feed your curiosity. So I think we are looking at a really different kind of career arc. Um, but we, as we age, we, we become better at different things. And, um, and also we maybe become, you know, less interested in things that we were interested in early in our career. And like, if we can take advantage of people of different seasons in their life, um, we are going to have that rich environment we keep talking about. But one of the reasons it doesn't happen is that there are some obstacles, which are you can't just leave if you have obligations, if you have, you know, children in college and mortgages. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that make people feel that they don't have choices 
And if companies were more creative about what I call off-ramps and ways to think about, uh, first of all, not just people who have worked 30 years might use them. They might be used by people all over. One thing we're re really, what I'm thinking I'm learning from younger people at work is that they're interested in little retirements throughout their career. Like that is not a concept that people want to wait 30 years to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our organization created this program called Encore Fellowships. So this is a program we've matched more than 2000 senior professionals who want to leave the corporate world and do something in the nonprofit sector and use their accumulated experiences to contribute to causes they care about. But there were no flat paths for that. Like if you're young and you want to do social impact work, there are all kinds of like fellowships you can do and programs, mm -hmm. but there was nothing for the midlifer in that experience. So what we found is that people were really hungry for something that was like a little bit of an internship and a little bit of a mentorship. Like you go with a really high level impact assignment and, you, and we match people with organizations that really want their specific skills in finance or design or IT, whatever it is. And if, if you could do something like that while you're still um, a valuable contributor in your agency or wherever, like you might have the best of both and straddle, you may choose to work like that for a while. Like, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. anyway, that, that's what I'm saying is like, we need more options um, to create like not a one size fits all model for what the career journey looks like. Yeah. The other thing I would add to that, I think that's so beautifully well said is that, um, you know, we as people are just so afraid of endings. Um, we're mm. super fearful of death. We're super fearful of um, our romantic partnerships ending. We're mm. super fearful of, you know, our organization not making it through this next evolution. We fear death. We fear the end. And actually, I, I think I wanted to offer a reframe that sometimes it's actually we're able to live more fully when we really confront those endings and we treat them as an important part of life, mm -hmm. as an important part of the experience of being human. And so instead of thinking about how do we retain all of these employees by like tricking them to stay here for as long mm -hmm. as possible, you know, I'm only down with re retention conversations when it's, we're not supporting the well-being of our employees. So how do we do that better? Because they're all leaving because they're well-being. So that is a more worthwhile and meaningful, but if it's just, we just have to retain everyone. Well, that's not sort of acknowledging that people like Marcy said, do change. And sometimes it is not in your best interest as an organization or theirs to stay. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can apply this to any relationship you have as well, you know, in your life, it might be the hard thing to do is to, to sort of end this relationship, to put up a boundary, go no contact with someone who's harming you um, to say, you know, we had a really great run in this marriage, but you know, this isn't serving us and we're not happy. So we need to, you know, move forward together and we have to embrace those ends and embrace those transitions. And um, a lot of that is inward curiosity, you know, is if you can help people to understand what is it that they really want and need, you know, what is their purpose that they can exercise and practice every day? And how is that or not connected to the purpose of your organization? You know, that also allows the people who are there to be there for the right reasons. And you set free and liberate the people who feel shackled and feel um, that they're being controlled or owned by you and your organization. And it's a win-win-win. So 
to em yeah embrace everyone's ability to want transition and to end and maybe that means for your organization too not all organizations should live forever just like humans yeah. should not live forever in my opinion <laughs> although i know many people are trying to figure out how to do this um i think that's a product of the culture we live in that sometimes you know and i know this is a big conversation in agencies right now that yes like times have changed and sometimes that means that organizations need to end but you know where there's an end there is a beginning and that transformation is actually something that's really beautiful and can bring people together and some of my favorite work has been when organizations end you know the 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 and sunset the beautiful experiences that happen um, with that whole um, group of people of coworkers who are honoring what they've done the legacy that they've created but also moving forward and not trying to keep something alive that really should you know move on and forward and uh, progress into its next state. We've spoken a bit about, um, you know, life and work balance. We've spoken a bit, you know, you've just introduced us to the idea of, of purpose and how this all kind of fits together with purpose. Um, but I would love us to, you know, as we're kind of working through the list of what applies to leaders in this conversation, talk about um, feedback and the different ways that groups receive feedback um, how to do that in a way that is safe and comfortable for people to receive, um, creating cultures that are accepting and embracing of feedback. Um, and I guess, should we start with you, Marcy? You're sure. I can see a thought brewing. Yeah. So, you know, so I do want to address the generational issue because it's where we're starting everything from. But um, I think the main way that kind of uh, uh, the latest generations have influenced work. One big way is on this kind of different approaches to how feedback works. And, you know, like when I was coming up, like we didn't, we didn't have feedback from, you know, 360, from our peers, as well as from our clients and from, you know, every aspect of um, how you could get feedback. There are now so many ways there's so many people who are getting coaching all the time while they're working who sometimes provided by the organization sometimes for yourself and i think there is um a lot more you know openness to understanding that we're, we're all constantly having the ability to, to learn about ourselves and about how we perform but um i i think it's pretty clear that uh, there are many personality factors that go into how you'd like to receive feedback and they do not fall on generational lines. There is so much research out there telling us now that we should step away from looking at generational stereotyping when we assume things. And mm -hmm. how to get feedback, I think, is a perfect example of that. And again, one that I think you could talk about with your supervisor or a direct, you know, a direct report, which is how do you like to get feedback? Do you want it in the moment? Do you want it once a week in our regular check-in? Would you rather me save up some big themes for the annual review? Um, there's a lot, I think it's really important to kind of build a culture where there's some flexibility, like are you an introvert or an extrovert has a lot to do with like what you're able to handle at a given moment, uh, just like your energy interactions really matter. Uh, your confidence level and your power in a certain environment are gonna relate to how how you will best respond to feedback. So my, my inclination is um, give managers tools they need to customize feedback as much as possible and support them in creating environments 
that allow feedback to deliver it in, in ways that different kinds of people can handle and uh, be receptive to. Yeah, and seeing it as a, a muscle that constantly needs to be exercised, that just because the person that you gave feedback to said, you know, in this moment, I just need time to process and then I'll come back to you with some, you know, of my sort of responses. That might not be the case two weeks from now. You know, they might want to like dig into the arena right now. So to not ask it once and then assume that that's always the way it's going to be, that it's a constant, consist consistent practice that you have to do. You know, I saw a meme recently, which was like, you know, this woman's like, oh my gosh, my shawarma broke apart. I'm so sad about that. And then the boyfriend says, are you looking for like a solution or is this like more like the feeling stage, you know? And I love that because it's like, we just like we practice that in our relationships, you know, we need to also practice it or romantic relationships or our families. We need to practice that in the workplace too. We need to, you know, remember that sometimes people just need to vent, you know, and just need to, and they're not looking for any advice. Um, and sometimes, no, they actually really do want guidance and solutions. Um, the other thing I would share too, is that we don't ever want to devalue people, but we're sometimes unconsciously doing that. Um, an example of that is a coworker comes to you and says, oh my gosh, like, I just like did not do great on that project. I like totally messed up with the like tech thing. And then I just like didn't, you know, oh, gosh, I just like know I could do better. I just like, I kind of failed at that project. The inclination for many of us is no, you did great. I mean, like everyone on the team loved it. The client loved it. We scored, like we actually got that deal. Like you didn't do like, no, you were great. Like, you know, get, you know, the, like the way that you're seeing the world um, basically is what you're saying. The way you see the world, your perspective is wrong that I see it in a different way. And my perspective is in contradiction with your own. And what that does is it makes someone feel, you know, Hey, like, or am I like a little gaslit, you know, like, am I, am I wrong then? Cause I thought I had failed. I thought I had done things that weren't, you know, up to par where I wanted to be, you know, and now this, my supervisor or this person I trust that I work with is saying, that's not at all what happened. Right. And there's a complete disconnect there. Instead, what we should do is come again from a place of curiosity and say, you know, tell me more about that. Like, what, what, why do you think that you failed? You know, what does failure mean to you? Like, why is this, you know, what, what things have you learned that you'd like to apply, you know, moving forward? And when you actually give space for curiosity, what you might learn is, oh, the way I see failure as this devastating thing is actually not the way they see failure as something that's much more nimble and they like to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. what you also learn is like, wow, I'm validating their perspective and the way that they see the world so that they can build confidence in themselves because that's what confidence is. It is to yeah. trust the way that you see the world and your actions are the right ones, to trust your instinct and gut. You are not building confidence when you're saying, do you know the opposite <laughs> you know you're, you're saying do not trust that gut do not trust your perspective the way i see it is actually the right way so mm. that's that's so important too it's just like validate where people are coming from even if that feels uncomfortable to you and then come from a place of curiosity mm. i'll add one small thing going back to power and seniority any feedback system has to have a safe way to get feedback to the most senior people in your organization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
one other thing I would also add too, <laughs> and I learned I learned this, you know, from you know being in sex positivity circles, is you know sometimes it's nice to have like a word, you know, that really mm -hmm. indicates when your boundaries are being pushed. Um, that might be a little bit harder to like articulate a full sentence or a whole last paragraph, but you can say blueberry, you know, as a way to indicate to your colleague, like, hey, you know, I, I need a little bit of space um, in this moment. Um, it's helpful to have those kinds of mechanisms or patterns. Another tool that's great is to, you know, in terms of this feedback is from a zero to a hundred, like how important is this? Because sometimes we weigh a feed, piece of feedback we're getting as like, oh my God, this is a 100. When actually to the person giving you the feedback, it's like, that's eh, like a four. It's like a nine, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's kind of important, but it's not like, don't like let it like ruin your whole day. Like when other times like this feedback is really, really instrumental. Like I need you to understand that what you said in that meeting really made someone feel hurt and harmed. And that is, this is a 98. Like this is, you really, I really need you to hear this message. So to actually like give people, and it's also helping romantic relationships. Like, babe, we talked about, you know, the phone on, in the bed and bedroom. We're not going to do that anymore. And it's like, how, how angry are you about this? I'm like, it's like a 14, you know, it's like, it's not a big deal, but I, I, I would like to like try to do that. So anyway, just a nice tool to use. Really helpful to have those tools and takeaways. Yeah. Um, I know we could speak for hours. I know the two of you could speak together for hours, um, which has been such a joy to listen to and, and learn from today. Um, but in the interest of time, I do want to ask um, parting thoughts or advice for leaders kind of going forward. You've just shared a couple of really tactical things specific to feedback. Um, but if people were to leave with kind of a parting thought from this or a parting takeaway, um, especially from the curiosity perspective, Scott, I see you now. Yeah, I can start. Like yeah. You might be yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Marcy's been starting so much. So I'm like, okay, let's, here we go. Bring the equanimity <laughs> to the, <laughs> um, well, I think that the big thing that I want leaders to take away is that in this ever uh, increasingly complex and divided and disconnected um, world where technological advancements like AR totally upending everything that we know about the work that we do, the most fundamental skill for a leader today is to know how to be curious, to practice curious leadership across the organization is what's gonna allow you to better understand your own internal compass and energy, just to better understand the people around you, to better acknowledge them, um, to ensure that you know they're feeling seen and heard and thus able to actually contribute in the fullest ways. And for y'all to look out at the world around you and to see how it's changing and to be responsive to it, instead of saying, we're going to do it because we've always done it this way. This is business as usual is no longer going to work. And we're seeing this in the agency world that so many organizations are crumbling, are not able to make business. And a big part of that is because they're lacking the curiosity to actually look at where the voices are inside of your own organization who actually have brilliant ideas because they're proximate to the culture that is changing and they're proximate to the newest ideas that are at the forefront of this change maybe, you know, listen to them and understand their ideas and maybe incorporate and integrate those ideas into your organization. You can only start to do those kinds of things if you have curiosity. So value, carry. I love that Racepoint Global has like the value, the behavior of curiosity. It's like something that, you know, we know from the research when you value it as a leader and you value it as an organization, 
it is more likely that people will be curious um, as a result of that. You have to say it's important. You can't just be like, it can't exist in your mind, in your brain. You have to vocalize it and you have to practice it and model it as a leader if you expect other people on your team to also adopt you know, curiosity um, and know that when you do, um, not only is it going to help your business to succeed and it's not only going to make you a more likable and communal leader, that's what we know from the research, um, and, and, and look less arrogant and be a more a joyous person to work with, um, but we also know that it's going to improve all of the things that come outside of just of the job, you know, it's going to increase your well-being. It's going to reduce your anxiety and bad stress. It's going to allow you to have more life satisfaction and purpose. And it's even going to extend years on your life. We know that lower curiosity increases mortality rates. So there's all of these like benefits. If you can practice curiosity that span outside of the walls of the office, it is the most fundamental skill that a leader needs today. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna stay um, on the age theme because that is really what we're focused on. But you can apply this to any other kind of difference. But I would just say look around at any project you're staffing, any problem you're trying to to solve, and think about whether your team really has like how wide a range of age diversity can you get into that mm. conversation, into that focus group, into that. Um, creative session into that pitch, into whatever you are working on. If you can't do it with staff, you, you don't have hiring potential right now, who can you bring to join that project? Who can you partner with? What other agency could you partner with that has complementary um, kind of talents that you have? And then this other trick we do a lot, Scott and I do this all the time, is we invite imaginary people into meetings with us. So you can conjure a mentor of yours or a mentee of yours who couldn't be there today. But I, I often think about, you know, what would my 17-year-old nephew think about the conversation we're having right now? His perspective is missing. And I'd love to describe this to him and think about what would he say based on the conversations I've been having with him? Because if he can't be here, I'm gonna try to channel that a bit. And what would my 82-year-old mother say if she were listening to this and what we've left out from her generational perspective or where she sits in the world? If you can't have everyone at the table, who can you kind of bring in in an imaginary way uh, the setting you're in? Love that. So oh, good, Marcy. <laughs> lots to take away from this, lots to apply to our own work. Um, Marcy Scott, it has been so wonderful to chat with you today. So wonderful to learn from you. Um, thank you both for being here. Uh, such a treat to yeah, share. Such, such a joy. <laughs> Always a joy to be in conversation <laughs> with you, Marcy. And so nice to meet you, Megan. And thanks, Bob, for the opportunity. Likewise. And thank you to Race Point Global, our sponsor for today. Um, this has been the Provoke Media Podcast, talking about cross-generational communications and creating ageless connections. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.